Good morning, and uh, good to see everybody here. And thank you, Chow. Chow and I have been friends for 20 years, probably, or so. And he's always done good work. I love how he speaks uh, Spanish so fluently. I stumble through uh, even the simplest words, but that's why I love lemonade. It's, everyone can say that. It's an awesome ministry. A few years ago, uh, we were able to go down to Guatemala and see the work that was going on in the communities, and uh, it's really cool what's happening, and it's exciting to be a part of that. You're going to hear more about that as we go on. Well, I'm glad you have cho- uh, chosen to, to come with us today. We're in a study on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, in a study like this, you go through uh, just random topics. Uh, obviously, God had a plan uh, for Jesus' teaching, and He has a plan for us as we study through it. So every week is kind of a new topic uh, that we jump through, jump into. And last week we talked about prayer, and today we're going to be talking about money. That's what Jesus called. We're just there, all right? Let me ask you this. So what is the greatest investment that you've ever made in your life? The greatest investment you've ever made. Maybe you're one of those brave, brave people that decides you're going to buy your own stocks and manage your own uh, stock options there, and and you did just the right thing. Your timing was perfect. You bought cheap. You sold sold high, and, and that was great. Or maybe you bought a house. And you sold at just the right time and the right price uh, that you really made money on this house. Or maybe you wisely invested in your education. And now because of that investment, the time and the money, it paid off and you're, you have a good job. Well, I hope that you've made some good investments in life. But no matter what you have done, I will tell you it's nothing compared to what's been called the most profitable investment of all time. Uh, you know, we hear people talk about the goat, the greatest of all time, this and that. Well, the greatest of all time investment took place in 1995 by a Cuban uh, immigrant to America named Miguel and his wife, Jackie. Uh, they had almost a quarter of a million dollars that they had amassed. They'd saved their money up, trying to find a good place to invest it for their retirement. And they were thinking about helping their 31-year-old son. Now, it's always, not always the best idea to loan money to family, right? Uh, it can be a little bit questionable whether that's the right thing to do. But all parents want to help their kids out, and so they decided this is what we should do with our money, not only help him start his business, but also um, that will help us have a future. They believed in their son, and they gave him almost, almost every cent that they had to start this new business. And he was honest and told them, you know what? What I'm going to be doing has never been done before, to be honest with you and it's risky, and I could lose everything. And he said, I don't want to come home at Thanksgiving and have you mad at me because I've lost your money. So I'll just give you a warning up front that this might not be a smart investment. But they were convinced, and they assumed a 3.4% interest in a little company that their son Jeff owned, Bezos, called Amazon. Never been, never heard of before. It was a pretty good investment, to be honest with you, because today it's the number four most valuable country uh, company in the world. It's worth $1.596 trillion. And if they had held on to their little investment, they would now be worth, I don't know if they did or not, they'd now be worth about $54 billion. That's a pretty good investment when you think about it. Most of us probably wish we had gotten in on that on the grand level. And without a doubt, the greatest investment of all time. But today, uh, it's not too late, all right? Let me just tell you, it's not too late to make a great investment because today we're going to talk about what the best investment, even greater, even greater than Amazon might be, and one that every one of us can experience and enjoy and appreciate the benefits of. And Jesus is going to tell us about that investment in Matthew chapter 6. So go to your Bibles, if you would, or check the screen out 
and let's read together. Jesus said, do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is talking here about an investment that's going to pay off down the road and how we need to have eternal eyes to be able to see that. The problem with most of us is that our, we don't really have eternal eyes or we don't look through them very often. We look through our current eyes through the, in the moment there. And this investment that he's talking about is not a secret really, but it's called the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus compares that investment to a much lesser investment that we're going to make. And that is the kingdom of this world, the earthly investment. So let's look, at, um, let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. Now, I want to jump in and read another scripture too, also in Matthew, chapter thir- Ma- uh, Matthew 13, where Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he, held, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, um, I've never really done this a lot, but ma- imagine if you would, that you had a metal detector. You know, some people find these treasures. We see videos of people finding these uh, really cool things or or precious things that they've discovered. But uh, imagine you had a a metal detector in a field and you had permission to be there. It was uh, kind of an area that was kind of free for people to go and and, uh, you, um, but you didn't own it. And uh, you were just kind of passing it around and all of a sudden it started dinging and beeping and buzzing and lights were going off and you knew you'd found something of significant side and size. And so you open the, the ground up and you begin to dig and you find gold. I know it's unlikely, but just imagine with me, you're going to find gold. And so you find a lot of gold and this is amazing, you know, and then you turn around and suddenly there's gold here and you turn, there's gold there. And it's all around you. And so you realize that this field is extremely valuable, but you don't own it. And so what do you do? Well, you take a sample of that gold to make sure you're going to have it checked out. And then you cover up everything like you were never there. You don't tell anybody about it. You go and you check and sure enough, you discover it is legitimate. It is real gold. So you go and sell everything you have to purchase the field. And it takes every penny that you have. You have to scrape up. You have to sell things. You have to empty your accounts, everything else. But you buy that field knowing that the investment later on is going to be worth the moment sacrifice. And you have immense wealth. Let me ask you, if you knew that were true, if you had that opportunity, would you do it? Absolutely. I mean, all of us, we'd be foolish not to, right? Why, what would keep us, if we knew it were true, why not go ahead and do it? And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you can understand how valuable the kingdom of heaven is, especially compared to our earthly kingdoms, then you would gladly give everything that you have to possess it. I mean, you would give everything. You see, investing is all about the future. You sacrifice in the moment, you give up something, the instant gratification to have something better down the road. And we understand that. Hopefully you do. You know, wise people understand that they need to save and invest some money now because down the road, it will come in handy in a time that they can't work or they don't want to work. 
It's called retirement for most people, and we ought to be prepared for that at some point or working that way. Wise people also understand there's, there's going to be a time when this life is over. Everybody dies at some point. And understand that they're going to need something that's going to carry them beyond into eternity. They're going to need something to support them and sustain and provide them for the everlasting times. And that's the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about. He talks about the kingdom of heaven all the time. Almost every week, if you notice in this study, he talks about the value of the kingdom of heaven. So putting your investments into the things of the earth, when one day you won't even be on this earth, and even beyond that, this earth will not even exist in the present state, that's not a wise investment. Investing everything that you have right here and then here and now is not smart when one day you're not going to be here and this world will not be here either. John D. Rockefeller was one of the uh, richest men who ever lived. In fact, he was the first billionaire uh, ever to be recorded. And uh, he started Standard Oil, so it kind of gives you an idea of how wealthy that he was. He was a hard businessman. And a lot of people thought that he uh, was dishonest as well. He maybe was on the edge sometime. But he was one of the greatest philanthropists of all time. And in fact, he gave almost all of his money away at one point. But when he died, his accountant was asked this question, how much did John leave? And the accountant said, all of it. He left every penny of it. He didn't take anything with you. You know what? That's how it is for us. That's how it is for us. We may build a kingdom here, or we may have a small estate or almost nothing whenever we die, but one day we're going to leave it to other people. And in many cases, people are going to fight over it, unfortunately. That's how, that's how it works out. So the key is to build something that will sustain us now, but more than that, that will last the test of time, something that will matter into eternity and the Bible speaks about that a lot. Our time here on this earth is just a blip on the timeline of eternity, that we need something to sustain us into eternity. And if we truly believe that Jesus is God's son and that we're going to be with him in heaven, we have to have an eternal plan. We know it's foolish not to have a retirement plan, but it's even more foolish not to have an eternal plan when our life here is over. You know, Jesus told another story in Luke chapter 12. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You know, Jesus is very clear about this. Very obvious that one day, even though we may be blessed, we may prosper here, one day we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be taken out of this world. And you know, a lot of times the things that we store up, the, we don't even get a chance to enjoy our retirement, Right? We don't even get a chance to enjoy those things, but we definitely will have the opportunity to enjoy eternal investment, eternal truth. You can't take it with you, but the Bible says you can send it on ahead. And the problem is that many of us don't plan for the future at all, the future here or the future beyond. So many people live for the moment, just for this moment and live in and for the moment. You know, somebody did an experiment 
one time that was really cute. Uh, a while back about how hard it is to wait for delayed rewards, how hard it is to wait, to not enjoy the moment and the instant. And I thought it was real cute. I wanted to show you, uh, show you this video called the marshmallow video. So go ahead and start that. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really So it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> you know, kids are just little adults, aren't they? Really, honestly, that's how we are. We have great intentions. We're like, I know, I know I should wait. I know there's something better coming maybe, but no, in, in the moment. I like the little girl who just like, forget it. Just, 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 just eat it to start, you know? Here's the thing, if you can put your investment focus on eternity and not just on the moment, you're going to be so much better off in the future. You can take money 
and use it for God's uses and God's kingdom and lay up treasures in heaven, they're going to last forever. Now, how do we do that in a practical way? You know, Jesus speaks about money uh, a lot. In fact, it's one of the, his favorite topics to talk about. Why? Because he knows it's so endearing to us. We know he knows how we feel about it, right? Uh, so he talks about it a lot. So how do we do that in a practical way? And the way that we do that is through giving to him through our local church. Now, you know, even as I say that sometime, I think, you know, that sounds a bit self-serving, exactly what you would expect a preacher to say, right? I mean, all of us would. But I want to tell you, I believe deeply in the mission of Christ church. And I believe deeply in the mission of this church. And I love to hear people when they come like, like uh, Chow who says, thank you for supporting this ministry because he's on the ground. He's seeing where the money makes a difference out there. And I believe deeply in the mission of our church. I encourage you to join in the mission. And, uh, and if it sounds self-serving, let me just say this. What we're talking about today about giving, I would say if you are suspicious, give to some other church. Give to some, another church. But, but I would say, wouldn't it make sense to give to the church you worship in and serve in? That makes sense to me. It really does. Giving to the local church has always been the way that God says that we should give. In the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle. It was, then it was the temple. Then it was the synagogue. And when the church began, it was the church that people give to. The Bible tells us where we should give. The Bible tells us also how we should give. In fact, the Bible says that, that we should be aiming for at least 10% of our income which is called a tithe. People use that term loosely, but a tithe is 10, it's 10%. But that really is the place for us to start. It really is. We could, should give above and beyond that. In the Old Testament cans, commands giving the tithe, and Jesus said, of course you give the tithe, but he said, even beyond that, don't stop there. Give beyond, give mercy, justice, and faithfulness as well. And Jesus said, there is no greater investment than the one that you make when you give your tithe to God. No better investment, I'm telling you, anywhere you could do. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, let's talk about giving, and let's talk about what our motives should be for giving. And he asked three questions here. First of all, he asked, where is your heart? Jesus said here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, that really is a universal truth when you think about it. Whatever we're invested in, we're interested in. Anybody ever check out? Maybe not lately, you don't want to do it. But anybody ever check out your financial statement when it comes in the mail? Do you just throw it in a drawer? Or do you actually open it up and see, you know, how your money's doing? Most of us would want to check that out. It's kind of scary to do right now, but it, it's a universal truth. Where you invest your two most valuable assets, your money and your time, is where your heart and your interest is going to be. And where you place your heart and where you locate that will determine how you invest your time and money. So if you're truly chasing after God, if you want to please him and know him, then you're going to make him your number one priority. You're going to make worship a priority. You guys have done that. Any number of things that you could have been doing this morning, but you have made worship a priority because you're pursuing and chasing after God. And you're going to sacrifice other things to make sure that you're able to come to church and worship. And also, if you're chasing after God, you're going to make giving financially a priority, and you're going to give generously and regularly. So if you want your heart to be with God, then your treasure has to be relocated and reallocated to be with God. That's what we have to do. It's one of the hardest things that we're called to do as believers. Now, we can say that God has our heart, but does God have our finances? I never really understand why people who are entrusting their eternity, like their entire eternal future to God, but don't trust God enough 
to, to do what he says with their finances. I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. But what does it mean to trust God with your finances? What does that exactly mean? Do you have to sell everything you have and give it to the church? No. There's only one person I can think of in the Bible that Jesus said to do that. The rich young ruler who came and claimed he was perfect in every other way, but Jesus knew that money was an issue. So he said, well, okay, you want to prove uh, your, your loyalty, your faithfulness? Sell everything you have and give it away. He couldn't do that. So we're not called to do that. It's not wrong to manage money for, invest, uh, for retirement. In fact, you should be doing that. It's not wrong to save college uh, money for college for your kids. It's not wrong to uh, save money and purchase things that you want to, to have. It's not wrong to go on vacation. Not wrong to do any of those things and enjoy your life. Now, we admittedly go overboard on these things, don't we? Uh, whatever your hobby, your interest, your vice maybe is, sometimes we spend too much on those things. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. Those of us who are, have, uh, have been given opportunity, especially in our country, there is no ban on possessions. In some countries, they don't own anything. They're so poor, they have nothing. In America, we have opportunity. There's no ban on possessions. Scripture doesn't tell us that we can't have property or we can't save money. In fact, the Bible tells us it's wise to save money. And it gives the example, Lori and I were talking about this the other day, of the ant that stores up through the winter and, uh, and then in, or through the summer, and then the winter has plenty of resources because they were smart and they saved up. And I think, uh, contrast that to the grasshopper, that I think just lives life fully and dies at the end of the season. You know, we don't want to be a grasshopper. We want to be an ant. We want to save up and so we can get through and, and endure uh, the wintertime too. So it's not talking about all those things. What is forbidden is the selfish accumulation of things, treasures on earth at the expense of those who are in need and at the expense of spreading the gospel. That's what he's talking about here. See, it doesn't say you can't have things. What it says is if all those things take everything that you have and you never consider God or consider the needs of people around you, that's what's wrong. And it's not what you have in life so much is what has you. And for many people, money is what has them. It has their heart. It has their attention. It has their energy, their thoughts, their planning, their focus, everything. So where is your heart when you think about giving? Where is your heart? Do you just avoid giving? Do you just avoid giving at all? You know, there are people who do not give a dime back to God, even though they prosper on the earth. Do you give just a little? Do you give just symbolically to make yourself feel a little better? A couple dollars like you might tip someone. Does God get your leftovers or does God get your first fruits? You know, truly a lot of people delay their giving until they have taken care of all of their needs and then all of their wants and then what's left over, they plan to give to God. But the problem with us always was there was never any left over when we approached it like that. There was never any left over because we always had things that we wanted or needed, and we never, we, we didn't do that. So we had to reverse things. God wants the first fruits. God, that means that we give generously to God first, and then we trust God to meet our needs. I'll never forget an example of a lady we had in our church several years ago who was trying to balance her budget and she could not make the balance, the budget balance at all until someone asked her, are you giving God anything up front? And she said, no, I don't have anything to give God at all. And so this lady working with her said, well, let's, let's put the, let's, let's tithe first. And then she discovered that when she tithed, she actually was able to meet our needs. Why? Was there more money? No, there wasn't more money, but there were wiser decisions that were made on down the line. 
And it all worked out well, and she understood that giving is important. It's, it's a smart financial plan. God wants the first fruits. We give to him, and then we have our own needs met. And that's real trust. And only then can we see God's provision and care. And when you're interested in God's work, your heart will be more engaged and more interested in what God is doing. So if you want to have a heart for God, you got to understand that the heart longs and gives toward that which is, is, is uh, our money is going toward. Financially, we need to be giving regularly and generously. Second thing he asked, what is your vision? He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So when it comes to money, uh, there can be a heart problem and there also can be a vision problem. If you have a vision for God, you're going to gladly invest in his kingdom. But if your vision is only for yourself and your limited vision or your moment and what you want, you live for things, you're going to have no vision for what's God doing in the world. No interest, no investment, no involvement. But when you have your eyes and your vision set on God, you're going to see the world in the way that God sees it. You're going to begin to see things like the poverty and the gangs and uh, the lack of education and the lack of knowledge of Jesus in another, world, another, another country. They don't even have the opportunity that we have to know about Jesus Christ. We're going to begin to see through his eyes and his vision. You recognize that God has a plan. And whether we totally understand why or not, that you and I are part of that plan. And the way that we acknowledge that is that we give to help make God's vision happen. And we live a life of obedience and sacrifice. You see that when you are blessed, it is because you are blessed to bless others. And to be a faithful steward, the Bible uses that, a manager of what God has entrusted you with. You see that things are not the goal of life. They're only tools to use to live a life for Christ. And that's not what life is really all about. And you have the vision of Christ, God's vision, and the church's vision. You know, we have a vision in our church. Our, our vision, our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And we believe that everything that, that all of our energy, all of our service, all of our resources, everything that comes into our church through our people is to be given for that purpose, to move people on a simple journey. And we have different ways that we try to do that. About a year and a, a, little, about a, year and a half ago, we began an initiative called the Released Initiative. For many years, in fact, uh, uh, Dan was talking about history there. For many years, 20 years, we've carried a mortgage in our church that has taken about... Um, a sixth or a seventh of our entire income just to maintain that mortgage. And we were really close to getting that paid off. Uh, back, um, like I said, about a year and a half ago, we, we introduced this thing and we said, if you want to be a part of this and contribute toward this, uh, it would be awesome to help us accomplish our vision and our mission. And we're going to do that. We're going to pay that off. I still got faith. I don't have proof yet, but I got faith that in June, we're going to pay off that mortgage and we're going to be free and we're going to be able to do a whole lot more than we've ever done before. But let me tell you, if you're not a part of that, it's going to be cool, but it's not going to be like it is for everybody that is. It's going to be something we're going to celebrate because we know that God has done this, not us. It's much bigger than us. But we, if we don't have God's vision, we don't enjoy God's blessings. And so we need to have a vision that's greater than what we see around us and what we want for the moment. Here's a third question. Who is your leader? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Have you ever had a job where you had two bosses? And, and to make it worse, those two bosses were competing for you, and they had different visions, and they had different uh, goals and agendas. And every time you were called into one, you were told one thing, went to another job boss, you were told another thing. That's what Jesus is saying about trying to serve both God and money. At some point, you have to decide who's really calling the shots in your life. There cannot be only one true leader, only one boss in your life. You can't walk in two separate directions at the same time. You have two forces pulling you in opposite directions. At some, some point, you're eventually going to have to choose between them. And to be honest with you, I think that's the challenge that many of us in America as Christians, we have. We have the call of God and we have the call of money and the world and telling us everything we have to have and convincing us that we have to be like everybody else. They are competing gods that are pulling us in different directions. One a big G and the other a, G, a, a little G, all right? They have different orders, they have different values, and they're going to pull you in different directions. And if you serve money, you're going to disobey God. And if you serve God, you are going to control and deal with your money very differently than the rest of the world. If you've ever had a hard time giving money to God, it's possible that you're serving money. If you think that you can't afford to give him 10% of your income or give generously, you are serving money. You know, I've heard people say, well, back, you know, years ago, I used to be able to afford to tithe. But at this point, with what I'm making now, do you know how much a tithe would be in my money? And I just want to say, well, how much less do you think you would need to make in order for you to be able to tithe again? Isn't it crazy how the, what the world tells us? If you're a little tense right now, and I sense that among some, <laughs> even talking about money, it's possible that you are serving money. But you know what? If you're serving God, you get a little bit excited about giving and seeing what your investment can do. I get excited whenever I hear about this. I want to go back to Guatemala again. Um, I, I want to go to Africa and see what's happening over there with our investments. I want to go see that stuff. I really do. And I can't wait. I get excited when I think about seeing what we can do when this church is, 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 is out of debt, you know? And you get excited about seeing how God's going to provide and bless you more than ever before. Guys, I stand before you as a, a testimony. I'm, I like money as much as anybody else. And I've always kind of struggled with that idea uh, about how's that going to work. But I'm living proof that if you honor God, God will bless you. He will do that. It's not a health and wealth thing. It's just the truth. It just practically works out. You can't outgive God. And the more you trust God with your money, the more you're going to be blessed. The Bible says it over and over again. Money is not a problem with God. It's a problem with us, but not with God. God owns it all, and if you trust him, he's faithful to provide and increase your resources. And you might ask, well, if money's not a problem, then why didn't God just pay for it himself? And the reason, I think, is because money is an indication of where our hearts is, and he wants us to be in on the mission with him. The Bible gives us an example of people who are serving money rather than God, and that was the Israelites. You know, don't dismiss the Old Testament in seeing how God works and how God thinks and what he says. In Malachi chapter 3, God says, will a mere mortal rob God? You are, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Trust me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room to store it. 
So the people of that day were robbing God. They weren't, they weren't tithing to God. And God says, you're robbing me because that belongs to me uh, right off the bat. And not only that, you're robbing yourselves as well because God's not pouring out the blessings that they could be receiving. So it's crazy. You're robbing God. You're robbing yourself. And maybe you're doing that by believing that you can't give like he's commanded us to give. I believe that trusting God by committing to a tithe is one of the signs that you are growing in your faith. I've heard many people say that. They say, I was growing, but when I decided to trust him in that way, because that's a big step, it really is. But God will reward that kind of faithfulness. So here's a challenge that I give people. I challenge you to tithe for 90 days, three months, not going to break anybody, and see if you don't have all of your needs met and, and are not blessed more than you were before. I want to challenge you to do that, and I, I, I hope that you do. And I'm going to tell you that what's going to happen the first week, the devil's going to test you. The first week you do it, you're going to have a big, you're going to have a big bill. Something's going to break, car, I just, I mean, it's going to happen. Uh, look forward to it, uh, but uh, it's going to happen anyway, right? But I'm telling you, trust him in that way, and, and you'll discover the faithfulness of being, uh, the, the blessings of being faithful to God. You know, I think it's so easy to make your primary investment be in the things of this world. And I think all believers start out like the little kids with the best intentions. You know, we're going we're gonna to wait. We're going to do what we're told to do, giving our heart to God, having his vision for our lives, letting him lead our life. We want to do that. But the world around us and the God of this world, and the Bible speaks of the God of this world, has a strong tug on our hearts and on our priorities and on our money. But here's the great news. You have the power to choose. You can, uh, you can switch sides of who calling the shots in your life. You can let God be the true leader of your life. You can let money be something that it should be, something that serves you and serves God, not something that you serve. Because how many of us know that in many cases, the more we have, the more we become a servant to it. We become a slave to what we have and we serve it. We, pay, we make the, the, the monthly payments on it, or, or we keep it up, or whatever it is, we, have, we become a servant to those things. And so we can decide we're not going to do that. We can step out of that. Many people have stepped out of that rat race and, and, and learned to trust God and honor God and serve God more than things and been a lot better off. I want to challenge you to start that today. Reorder the way that you spend your money. Stop trying to get everything the world tells you that you have to have. Because here's the thing, when you order your finances God's way by putting him first, God will give you a new sense of contentment with less. I believe that is a big part of the idea of being financially right with God. He will give you contentment with less. You don't feel like you have to have everything in the world. God will provide all of your needs and God will bless you more than you can possibly imagine. You know, these are not my words. I'm merely the messenger today, all right? This is what Jesus said over and over again. It's a message throughout the Bible. It's as clear there as, as the, the message of the gospel uh, of serving God in that way. Wise people know a good investment when they see one. My challenge is, do you think this is the wise investment? The kingdom of heaven? I think it's the best. Now, how do we get started in that? Well, there's not a, not a big application or anything to, to get filled out like you might have to have in some investments the way you get started is to give your life, your heart to Jesus. You believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You repent of your sins. You confess him as Lord. Even poor choices you've made, maybe financially, and you try to get your house right with him. And you come into 
a relationship with him by believing, repenting, confessing, and, and being baptized, and then trust God to lead you and let you go, not just in money, but in everything else. And you'll discover the blessings that he promises to us. It's incredible. That would be my challenge for you. This morning, we're going to wrap up. We have this time up front. If you want someone to talk to you, uh, we're not financial counselors up here, but we certainly are spiritual counselors. We'd love to be able to talk to you about your first step or your next step with Jesus. If you want to come up and pray, maybe it has nothing to do with money or whatever's going on uh, in your world is, is very different. We would love to pray with you or open this time up for a moment and time of prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, some of the most challenging words in the Bible are about the things that are dear, dear to us. And Lord, I know that, that we're going to re- react to this differently. Some of us are going to say amen uh, because we understand and because we discovered this. Father, some are going to say, uh, I want to try this. I'm, I'm going to see if this works. And some are going to say, I don't believe any of it. Uh, God, that we have that freedom. But Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts to you that uh, we would have a heart focused on you, that our vision would be your vision, and that, Lord, you would be the leader of our life. We would, we would make that choice once and for all. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.